Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, then you're well aware that I love traveling the globe and meeting the people that are dedicating their lives to saving Earth's biodiversity. Today's guest, Frank Garrida, is one of those special people. For several days this past November, Frank guided me through Costa Rica's wild places, and we had lots of time to chat about his favorite group of animals, cetaceans or whales. For part four of the Costa Rica Life, Lava, and Forest series, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to sit back down with Frank and share his knowledge with all of you. I will give a slight heads up that English is not Frank's first language, but he does a wonderful job explaining the unique whale phenomena happening in Costa Rica's waters and nowhere else in the world. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support the podcast, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, leave a rating or review, or maybe even sign up for the Rewildology newsletter at rewildology.com to stay up to date on all of the podcast shenanigans. All right, friends, here is my conversation with Frank. Hi, Frank. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and giving me an amazing time in Costa Rica. It was so amazing meeting you and just driving around your beautiful country of Costa Rica. And so, so excited to dive into your favorite topic, which happens to be cetaceans and whales. So, yeah. But before we get to all of that, me and I'm sure everyone listening would love to hear your journey. What was it like for you growing up and where did you grow up and what did you end up studying and how did you get into whales? Okay. Yeah. Nice to meet you again. That was nice to, to talk to and see you again. Uh, so I born in a place called Grecia, or Greek, close to the Costa Rican airport in Alajuela like 55 years ago and um, you're 55 55 really? yes wow you keep <laughs> living that up i on really i bet you're like Cost 39 maybe. is it costa rican coffee thank you thank you <laughs> wow i hope i hope you buy some coffee costa rican coffee so. oh i'm addicted to costa rican All coffee right. so that's gonna keep me young forever good to know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but I I grew up in in San Jose in San Pedro. It's a little village close to the Costa Rican University. And when I was in the primary school, I fascinated with the with the animals and want to be something, study animals, something like that. But I start see uh, in TV. I start see programs, and one of the programs that get me attention is documentals that I see in, in TV about Jacques Cousteau and see the the sea, wildlife, and everything. And I was impressed about the cetaceans. I said, wow, these animals are so smart, so beautiful, so whales are so big. And um, that was in my mind to, to try to, to do something in the future. Well, when I was in the high school and university, I decided to study marine biology. So I started studying marine biology. But in that time, in the university, we don't know too much about whales, about cetaceans in general. Actually, when I finished my university, I don't have the opportunity to, to know more about the whales. 
four years later, I traveled like a tour guide in the south of Costa Rica. That was about 25, 25 years ago. And I have the opportunity to see the whales in there. So when I was studying at the university, I, nobody told me about whales or cetaceans in Costa Rica. I said, why? What a surprise. So many of Costa Ricans, like 25, 30 years ago, they don't know that we have cetaceans in the coast. And maybe only the people that was close to the coast. So finally, I found us the whales. I, I see the whales. I was so impressed. And um, like a, two years later, I, I found a people from Cascadia Research. It's an organization from Olympia, Washington. And uh, I give some of my pictures that I took. And I know that they come to Costa Rica to make some research. And I say, you know, I, I want to show you my pictures, look at my pictures. And say, wow, that's nice. Do you want to enjoy your trips with us? I said, what? <laughs> yes, come, come with us. We, we need the Costa Ricans to participate in our research. And that was uh, 20 years ago. And just say, yes, go. And that was great. I mean, I learned a lot. What I know right now is by these people. And we involve more Costa Ricans. And I mean, right now we have uh, many Costa Ricans to study cetaceans. And, and that was very interesting because uh, we don't know that, that we have these impressed animals. And right now we know a lot of things that was impressed like that we have two populations of humpback whales that's unique in the world. And a lot of different uh, um, dolphins, actually cetaceans is the, the third more diverse groups of mammals in Costa Rica. Wow. First is the bats, second the rodents, and the third is the cetaceans. So that's many, many things I learned in these 20 years, and I'm still learning every year more and more. Wow, wow. So let's start getting into that. I would love to hear more I've not had a chance to study that much about marine mammals in general, let alone the big, beautiful cetaceans. So let's start to get into that. What have you discovered? I mean, you just dropped a little hint that there are two completely separate population of humpback whales that visit Costa Rica. Why? Where do these whales come from and why are they separate populations? Yeah, that was something very interesting because when I meet John Kalambokidis, who is the, the get scientist of Cascadian research here in Costa Rica, he told me that they come to Costa Rica because they found a, a picture of fluke, one fluke of the humpback whale, and it's checking that was taken in Costa Rica. I don't know what was what the way that that picture go to him, and he's checking the picture in the catalog that they have, and they say, oh, they match. So we have one whale that we saw in California and this other whale somebody saw in Costa Rica. It's the same whale. So let's go to Costa Rica to see what, is, what happened there. And that's why they start working with the northern population of Hopan whales. But also he's expert in blue whales. And well, later he tracked blue whales and they followed the blue whale from California to the Costa Rican Dome. So it's also that... It's part of his research in that time. But okay, we start working with the northern humpback whales, and every time we see more. And in total, we have right now from the northern hemisphere, 
We have about 500 individuals, identified individuals. They don't come too frequently. I don't go to the ocean too frequently because one of the problems is this research is so expensive mm. to spend gas hours in the boat, go out, etc. It's very, very expensive. So it's, it's very difficult. But we, we just go maybe two or three times uh, in, the, in the season. And, and yeah, we get a very good uh, dates. But also in July, we start to see humpback whales. We, people call it, we have a humpback whale here in July, in August, September. So, wow, what? One moment, that is not time for humpback whales from California and come here. They are already eating in, in the north of California. So, where's, where these humpback whales come from? So we start taking pictures of these ones and we're looking for different catalogs. Also in the project with Cascadian Research, and that time was Kristen uh, Rasmussen. Right now she's working in Panama, actually. So she makes her, her thesis with this population and she matched whales that come from Antarctica, Antarctica Peninsula. So she sent some of the pictures that we took in Costa Rica to the Antarctica catalog and they match. So right now we know we have population from Northern Hemisphere, population from the Southern Hemisphere. They are feeding in the Southern feeding in Antarctica Peninsula and the Northern Pampa well feeding in Northern California and Oregon. So that's unique in the world. No other country have two populations, almost all year around, Pampa wells in, in the Pacific coast on the waters. And for example, Hawaii have a lot of whales in the season, in one season, only from the Northern Hemisphere, more than Costa Rica. But Costa Rica have all year round. And that is unique in the world right now. So it's very, very interesting. Is that a new phenomenon? I know that this has been recently discovered. Is this a new-ish behavior that they're doing? Or do you think that this migration pattern has been happening for a while? Yeah, actually, there was uh, Christian Ramosin present his papers in the 2015, I think, 14 to 15. And um, the scientists from Colombia, they just they saw Humpa Wells, but the from Southern Hemisphere, but never from the Northern Hemisphere. Right now, right now, we know that this Southern limit for the Northern humpback whales are Panama, Chiriqui, Panama. And, and the Northern limit for the Southern humpback whales are San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua. So we have Nicaragua, Costa Rica, all Costa Rica, a little part of Panama. That is the, is the mating area for this two populations. And, and yes, it's unique right now. So this uh, is something that we happened just more about, about eight years ago, more or less. So that's very important for the scientists right now, for the people that study humpback whales. Oh, I'm sure this was an absolute gold mine when they realized that, oh my gosh, two populations, both populations are coming to this one spot. Oh, I can only imagine what it was like being in the room that day that that was discovered. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's something also that helped a lot to the communities along the coast. 
because Costa Rica right now is one of the, in, in Central America, is, is the country with a very growing industry and well watching. And so right now, all the communities all along the coast have the opportunity all year round to offer well watching tours. Many of these communities that before was only a fishing village, right now is a very developed village with a lot of tourist visitors every year in, in that communities. This community before, they're looking for jobs. So they come into the Central Valley of Costa Rica to the capital looking for jobs. Right now they have jobs all year around. And actually some of the people that are living in, in the Central Valley, close to the capital, go to this village for work because they know they have work all year around. So that's very, very good. That's amazing for a wildlife phenomenon to be that consistent and that reliable that people have a year-round job from that. that. That's amazing. That sounds like one of the only places in the world when it comes to whales yeah. that that is possible. Yeah, actually, the, the whale-watching industry is, is, is very, very growing and growing and growing every year. Well, right now, because the pandemic, we have problems, but it's still working. I mean, the whales are there. People want to see, and they go. Actually, when we started the pandemic in Costa Rica, they're still working with, with, with few tourism, but they're still working. Right, right. Because everyone wants to go see whales. <laughs> There's no question there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, humpback whales attract a lot of people because it's the more uh, acrobatic whale. Also, there is no offshore whale. It's inshore whale, so it's easy to find. And, and that's what is, they make more attractive to the people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I still need to see some. Oh, uh, it was like in the wrong time of year. The one wrong time of year to see whales is when I was there, which is ironic. But since there are so many local communities that have now been brought in to whale tourism, has... Cascadia Research, uh, where you work, or any other institution, uh, is there like a citizen science or like a collective project going on maybe to monitor them? Any way that the people are being brought in? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not working full-time with this organization, with Cascadia. I just only collaborate when they are coming to Costa Rica. In 2005, <laughs> we start a project, or they start a project that called Splash One. And, and these uh, projects are very good because they involve more than 500 different scientists in all North Pacific Ocean, wow. including America, Asia, and Europe. So it's scientists from Japan, from China, Russia, North Canada, United States, Mexico, and Central America was involved in this project just to know how is the structure of the Humpa well from the North Hemisphere. And right last year, we started the second project, Splash 2. In February, we go to continue with the project Splash 2. That's very, very interesting. And like you know, Costa Rica gets almost 25% of the old territory is protecting by national park, biology reserves. And we have few national parks in the Pacific Coast, and they are the one interesting to start to monitor and cetaceans. 
So I teach the rangers how to go to the ocean, how to take pictures, how to put the data in the computer, and how to analyze the pictures and everything. And, and this is something that I started last year, and we got country next year also. So right now it's three years now we are working with them. So that is like a consultant work that I, I started three years uh, two years ago. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Has much data been collected in the three years that the Rangers yeah. have been brought in? Yeah. Yeah. And next year we go again, we follow because usually in the national park, they, they shame people. It's not the same people that stay most of the time. So we need to continue to teaching and to, to see how's everything going on. Mm. Yeah. And also I'll be part of the trainers of the guys that are working right now while watching tours and all along the coast. So I make talks and, and training workshops, everything with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great to make sure that they are complying to safe and sustainable whale watching practices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, we have a regulation, so we need to follow some rules. We want, I mean, the, the industry is growing too fast. They need mm. to say, wait, 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 one moment. We need to, to try to control this. So they have the government make some regulations. Some of the researchers we're working at help to see how it's working these regulations and also to explain to people in the coast what it, that is very important to follow these rules because it's something that is, is good for you, for the people and good for the whales too. So to maintain the equilibrium in this. And it's hard, but it's, I mean, we are working on this. Mm. Have you had much pushback from any whale operators by chance? Yeah, actually, because the research is so expensive. I mean, for, for me, it's so expensive to go five days full-time to collect data. So the tour operator helped us to enjoy the tours with them. And the same time, I talk with the tourists, I am training the guy, I using some other tools like the, the iPhone and to hear the sounds of the whales and to explain a little bit more scientists, how's the behavior of the whales. In this way, we help the tour operators and these tour operators help us to go enjoy the trips. Of course, we don't have it. We can enjoy all the time that we want in, in, the, in the day. And also we, we have some limits like about time, about the, the tracks that we go. And so that is, is something. It's better to have a little than nothing. So, mm. and, and that's why we, we're working together. Oh, that's good. That's good. And how does one of these tour operators become a whale watching tour guide? Can anybody do that? Or is there a very particular set of regulations they have to go through? Or uh, main reason why I'm asking Mm -hmm. this is let's say since Costa Rica is such an approachable destination, and somebody might just book a random whale tour. They might not know somebody like Sheridan from Reef Rockies that, you know, is very knowledgeable and connected me with you and so many other amazing people. They might just see whale watching tours. What should somebody be looking mm. for 
to make sure that those whales are well taken care of? Yeah, actually, uh, the government certified the guys and the tour operators. So the tour operator need to have the license for the Minister of Tourism, and the guys have a license also for the, um, the Minister of Tourism. So they need to take courses every year. They need to take courses about the biology, about the whales, about the stations, about the environment, but also courses about healthcare system, safety process, everything. So every year we need to, to have that license with different courses. So, and that means these people follow the rules also. So yeah, I mean, to be a guide, to need to take the courses and to certify by the Minister of Tourism. Oh, so that's great to know. So pretty much if somebody is booking a tour and they are a legit company, then we can feel pretty good as tourists knowing that they're going to do the right thing. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good, good. And so let's get back to whales and everything. Are there any other interesting behaviors or research that you have found in your 20 years working with them? Yeah, well, well, for me, the humpback whales are impressive all the time. Actually, a few hours ago, before we, we meet, I saw a video, not in Costa Rica, but it's a, a video where more than 100 humpback whales together yeah, I think it was in, in one place in the North Hemisphere that, that made me impressed. I mean, usually when we're thinking about whales, this huge animal, we always see one or mother and cat. That is the group usually that we see, but we never see a group of hundreds together, yeah. like the dolphins. We see our dolphins together, like hundreds of thousands but no humpback or no whales. So this whale, humpback whales are like, take a different behaviors than the others, baleen whales. We have two different groups, baleen whales and two whales. And the baleen whales, usually they are the big ones. And this have the behavior that usually two or three, maybe three together, but no um, more than three. And humpback whales always are more than three. When they are in the, in the feeding grounds, they make a, a big groups where they're feeding together, make uh, this uh, bubble nest. That not happen in, in Costa Rican waters because they're not coming here to eat. They're coming here to mating and to calving. But sometimes uh, we see big groups of uh, com competitive males that fighting each other, oh, wow. tang together, follow a female. So that's very impressed because the males are very exciting. They're fighting a lot, each other. Sometimes they, I was in the boat and we see when they are coming close to the boat, coming under the boat, but never touched. I mean, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> but always we need to maintain that distance. But it's impressed to see these animals fighting each other and um, the noise that they make when they try to hit the other whale or breaching on top of the other whale. It's very impressive. But also to hear the singers. Males is the only, is the animal that sing in, in the mating areas. And one way to attract females, but also to, 
to tell the other males that they are there. And that song is is an structured song that is very complex song. They spend about 50 minutes for the beginning to the end, and this they can to repeat and repeat for hours. I mean, when you hear this, it's, it's, it's impressed to hear that. So it's beautiful. And then no, no other Welsh make these complex songs, or no other citation make these complex songs, actually. So that's some things that impressed a lot. Also, the behavior that they have with others, altruist, I think, when they try to help other animals that is not in the same species, it's not in the same groups. Actually, they're interacting with humans, with sea lions, with different animals, just to try to help for, for something dangerous in orcas or for sharks, things like that. Something that, that made these animals very interesting, that some scientists call no human people. They call humans, but no human people because they have a social structure. They have their own language, their own communication. And this kind of behaviors like altruism. So it's something that no animal have these kinds of behaviors. When I'm talking about no human people, it's talking about all these situations in general. But it's the humpback whales, for me, is, is, they are baleen whales, but they are more close to two whales like a dolphins. In, in the behavior and make this big group travel together. That's, I mean, it's impressive. Every time I see the humpbacks, they impress me. Oh my gosh. Oh, I just want to go see them so badly now. I've never had an experience like that. I've seen like some finback whales and lots of dolphins and stuff, but I've never seen some like flamboyant show of humpback whales or seen them fighting or anything. Oh, those behaviors sound unbelievable to see. Are there any other cetaceans that follow a similar migration route? You said that that's the third biggest diverse group of mammals in Costa Rica. So what are some other really cool animals that are in the area? Well, um, I told you in, in the Costa Rican Dome, who is in an area on the Pacific side, that is an area that's upwelling. We have water from bottom coming up, very rich in nutrients. So a lot of animals going there to feeding. And they have a, a population of blue whales and they're, they're probably their residents. I mean, they have food, they've made in there, they have cabin them. They are a group of resident blue whales, but also they come from, from North, North Hemisphere, some of the blue whales that John Calambuquid is tracking in one of the projects from California to Costa Rican Dome. Also, we have sometimes, see, we see uh, orcas, or killer whales here. And many people think, no, killer whales also only in cold waters. No, we have orcas or killer whales in, in tropical waters too. These are transient orcas. So they travel around and sometimes we see in, in Costa Rican waters. Also, uh, sperm whales. Actually, this year was uh, my first time in many years I see my first sperm whale. Wow. And it's an animal that's very impressed. I mean, it's it's a huge animal. The, the sting is very interesting. So look, complete difference. What are you thinking about? 
a cetacean like a dolphin or whales. The sperm whale is a tooth whale. The females travel in groups, but the males travel alone. And what I saw was a, a, a long sperm whale, probably probably a male. And uh, but it's impressed. I mean, they have a huge head with a huge melon, and this skin that they have that is completely different than the others. It's very impressed also to see sperm whales. Because they're the ones that dive yeah. super deep, right? Exactly, exactly. So they have this the, the structure of the skin is it's completely different because they need to they're very flexible because they dive too, too deep. So they need a, for the pressure, for the different pressions, they need to expand in the body and, and compress the body depending on how deep they go. So it's, it's very interesting too. Wow. And did you say also, because I think because we talked so much about whales and countries, something about like their blood flow and using that large head and for like buoyancy stuff. Is that, did I, do I, yeah, they recalling? have, and in, in, in the head, yeah, in the head, they have this uh, oil called spermaceti. That's where they come the sperm whale, spermaceti. And this oil that in the, in the melon, in the boy head that they have, they can to, to solidify it, like make it solid or also to make a liquid. And that way, when it's solid, it's like a anchor and they go deep and deep and deep. And after they projecting all his blood in the head, and they like make liquid and they just go in like a bowie poof, exploding <laughs> in the super, super, super. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Amazing. Wow. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely incredible. And I will, I, my next question now is well, we, I mean, everybody loves whales. I don't know one person that doesn't love whales and marine mammals in general. But we're all well aware that they're facing some pretty serious issues in our oceans. So what can anybody do abroad, whether they're in Costa Rica or me, I'm in Colorado, super central USA or anybody anywhere. How can we help whales no matter where we're at? Well, I think what we need to do is to respect their space like uh, we respect our neighbors. In some areas, for example, when they are feeding, we need to respect that also because, I mean, they need your space. But one of the things is we need to protect the ocean where they, these animals live. And so we need to, to know and be constant about trash because the trash that we throw in the city is going to the ocean. The fertilize of the chemicals that we use in plants in the mainland they go to the river and have to go to the ocean and also contaminate the ocean. So we need to try to manage in a right way, trash, chemicals, and, and also our behavior. So this help a lot of these, these animals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Plastic is such a problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and in many countries, for example, we know that that some countries are still killing whales, like Japan, Norway, and other others, Iceland, for example, islands like Faroe Islands in Denmark, that they kill a lot, a lot of dolphins in, in the system because they call this a cultural thing. The way that that we need to to help them is just to to not support 
for example, a dolphin aquarium where they have dolphins in, in cages and in, in pools, or because sometimes this usually in Norway and other countries they they kill the mother and take the babies and sell into aquariums and things like that. So delfinarios, we call it in Spanish. And to support this, to go to see these animals and in these cages, is not good for them because they're still doing this because it's, they, they think it's a good business. They're still doing these things. And it's better to go and support communities along the coast and where they go, the animals in the wild. And also part of this money also is in, in some countries, they're going Part of this money is going to the community, part of it is going to the research, and, and, and this research is going to protecting the animals and educate the people too. So that's the best way, I think. Mm. I love it. Yes, sustainable tourism. It's just, it's so yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> it is so good for so much wildlife. And I love yeah. to ask this too, since you've been a guide now for many years, I'm sure you have seen some amazing things. Do you have one story that really sticks out of an incredible experience that you had? Well, um, one time I, I was with some people to do in a, a short documentary about humpback whales in North Pacific side of Costa Rica. We are filming the behaviors and, and the animals in, in the wild. And, and we saw a group of um, competitive group. There are some male follow a female, but the female have a calf. So we saw how the three males try to push in the female to mating. The females, they are more worried to protect the calf. And we saw in the distance, but little by little, the female coming and turn to the, we are three boats together looking the, the other two boats are tourists. And one boat where I was with the with the people and to film all this, we saw how this female come to us and try to put protecting the calf in the by the boat that we are yeah. there. So she leaving the calf right there and moving a little bit out, and the males followed the females. It's because males are so exciting and they don't care about the calf. So in some countries, some, sometimes they have accidents where the males kill the, the baby because they are fighting each other. And so that female have this the intelligence to say, okay, this way we go to protect, we're leaving my baby here between the boats to be protected and we go with the males far away from my baby. And we saw the baby how to come in close to the boat and looking at us, we saw the eyes looking at us like uh, say, help me, help me, oh, something like that. That's it's very impressed. And after later, we stayed with the with the with the calf, the right there. We saw how the female back and take the baby and go. That's what's oh very my very gosh. very nice. You had to have been so moved by that experience. Ah. I oh can't... yeah. Oh I, I have the I had the video that was How... very nice because I mean the the males are very very exciting, very mad, very fighting each other and things like that. So it was very dangerous for the baby. But the mother have this uh, intelligence to say, okay, but take my baby here, go to 
lose these people <laughs> and back for my baby. Oh my gosh. That is beautiful. Wow. And my mm -hmm. next question. So one thing that I really love to explore on the podcast is we all have highlights, like wonderful moments like that. But our journeys often have some low points too. Have you had any particular struggles that you've had to overcome in your journey or currently overcoming anything? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes, well, we saw, we saw a calf also, a calf, female and calf, and the calf have a, a net in the body. And, and we try to help because we know that animals or cetacean where they have a net in the body, that net is coming tight and tight and tight. Sometimes they cut part of the flippers or, or tail. Or sometimes they can to dive to nursery, for example, in this case, uh, the calf. So we just tried to help, but that was very dangerous because the ocean was a little bit rough in that moment too. So, I mean, we tried, but we can't. So we was, was very sad to see that situation and very sad to know that probably there are more nets in the ocean that they doing the same thing with not only cetaceans, with, also with sea turtles, also with, with shards of with manta rays, but um, it's something that is a, a big problem in all the in all the world. All the ghost nests that we call nests that the fishermen living there, and they don't know that this make a very big impact in, in many animals. So it was very very sad because we saw how they come close to the boat to probably to say help me. I know in some other countries they they, they save these kind of animals in, in this period. But we don't have the experience, and also was very difficult because it was very dangerous for us or, and also for them because we don't have the tools and we don't have the expertise to do this. So it's very very hard to know that you want to do something that you can't or you don't know how to do, and, and we don't know if what happened with that uh, calf. Mm. Yeah. The pollutions in the oceans are is very mad. We also saw some animals dead in the beach and scientists come to see what happened and they found a plastic box and the stomach and nets and things like that. Mm -hmm. Also very sad. And it's something that for more than you teaching or or you or try to educate people, something that happened all the time. Yeah. It's so hard. I know I would be heartbroken if I was on that experience with you just to see that wanting to help so bad to see this beautiful whale completely just entangled in a net. Ugh, mm -hmm. sounds so hard. But on that note, I mean, you have an open platform right now. Is there any message that you want to share or any advice to aspiring marine biologist or, or whatever you want to say is there anything that you want to make sure you get out into the world yeah well i want to say this uh we, we need to respect the wildlife in general but uh actually many of the protection programs are for mainland animals uh, a few years ago we started to see the ocean what happened in the ocean because before we think in the ocean was in a place where we can to trash things 
that we don't want to see on, on our land. And right now we see ocean covered by plastic, islands of plastic, islands of uh, pollution. We need to, to look in open eyes and see more to the oceans of what we can do with the wildlife that happened there. Or, or Earth is ocean more than Earth. Right. So we are more blue than, than green. We need to protect the oceans. We need to protect, yeah, or seize the oceans of the animals of everybody. We need to try to do something to be conscious where you put your trash, where you're conscious about the chemicals, be conscious about when you visit a beach also, where you put your trash. And a lot of animals, a lot of life, actually, or life too, depend on the ocean. Absolutely, it does. <laughs> And so let's say that anybody wants to get in touch with you or maybe wants to hire you as a guide or wants to learn more about your whale research or Cascadia research. What is the best way to get in touch with you and your work? Well, I'm I, I working for Rift Rockies uh, company. And so that you can contact the Rift Rockies company to come to Costa Rica and very enjoy it to guide everybody to come to Costa Rica to show my country. I not only uh, guide in the ocean, I guide in the forest too. I love birding. I love uh, environmental in general, about culture too. And this maybe that way we can meet here in Costa Rica. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I can, I can say for a fact that Frank is an incredible guide and he did not guide me in the ocean, even though we went to the Caribbean side for an amazing sea turtle conservation experience, which was wonderful to meet Stanley. So thanks again for that. And I'll be sure to share all kinds of stuff that I learned from that experience. And But yeah, definitely go meet Frank. And I will put lots of links in the notes to meet Sheridan from Reese the Rockies. And I, everyone go to Costa Rica and see some whales. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. So like we say in Costa Rica, pura vida. <laughs> pura vida. We, we hope you come here. Awesome. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.